0: Hey everyone, I've got an awesome message for you on this brilliant Easter Sunday. I hope you've enjoyed the sunshine this week. I know we have in our household, but it leads us to this point, doesn't it? It leads us to this point where everything in terms of our faith hangs here. And I've called this message today the world's greatest moment, the world's greatest moment. And as I started reflecting on that, it got me thinking about my own life. And this way may well get you thinking about your life. And as I've looked back on my life, there are lots of different points where you think, that was a great moment. You know, I remember proposing to Sarah, my now wife, and her saying yes, and that was a real moment. You know, anyone who's put themselves in that position and proposed, it's like it's a moment when you say you get the actual agreement we're doing this together. It's a real moment. And then there was the wedding day itself. We celebrated 20 years of of marriage uh, last year, and we looked back at the video of it all and you know, laughing at the haircuts and how young we looked and the clothes people were wearing, but it was an amazing day and it, it was a great moment in our life. And, and then there was the birth of both my children, just, oh wow, just amazing moments, holding your child in your arms and how somehow you just managed to generate more love you think you've got this much love and then you get your get a child and somehow you just managed to muster up more love and I think that's probably true in in other areas of life too when you create friendship groups or, or you meet other people you just you just expand somewhere but these are great great moments I also remember for both my children the first time they said I love you daddy And it's just like, well, you just can't buy those moments. Just incredible, incredible moments. For me personally, the launching of this church. You know, 16 years ago, I believe it is now, or there and thereabouts, you know, I had a a dream in my heart and and a willingness in my spirit to say yes to the call of God in my life. And I didn't know how it was going to go. I had some hopes and expectations. I had some faith, but I didn't know. And we launched out and, you know, 16 years later, we've got this amazing, flourishing group of people we call Equippers Essex. And we're making a difference and impact and influence in our town. And I've loved it as I've seen people come and and meet each other in in the church. And there's been marriages that have come out of the church. And now they're having children and, and growing homes together. And I think every time that happens for me personally, it's a real moment because it backs up that decision I made in my heart to say yes we're doing this and 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 the people that have made a commitment to Jesus and had their lives transformed through faith and getting baptized and seeing healing come and different thought processes going on they're just moments for me that back up the decision I made all that time ago and I know there'll be amazing moments ahead and you're going to be part of this journey what about moments in history you know what about you know the, the launch of the TV, imagine life without television now, you know, cars, the invention of cars and air travel, these were big moments in life, what about the cracking of the code, that helped win the second world war that's a particular moment in my family because my dad's mum my nan was part of the team was on the table that cracked the code that day and she got recognition from the queen and so for us that's particular but as as for the world and certainly for us as a nation what a moment the cracking the code was and then there's amazing amazing people you know people like you know, Mother Teresa or, or Nelson Mandela or Barack Obama or, or Terry Waite. These amazing people that have marked history. How about Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg? No, Whatever feelings you have on those kind of people, they have marked history. They're amazing people. More recently, through lockdown, Marcus Rashford made a stand for something. He's changed stuff. Just amazing, amazing people. And when I think of teams, what about the NHS? Now in the year we've just had, what a team of people they are. Just incredible. It was our privilege in our household to go out and do the clapping. I, I know that, that that had its time. But it was an amazing moment just to celebrate these team of people who are willing to do what it takes to pay the price and help. Just amazing amazing people. And all of these things are noteworthy and great moments and great people. But for me, I believe there's a greater moment. I believe there's a moment that raises life determining questions for all of humanity. And it's the moment we celebrate today on Easter Sunday. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that is the world's greatest moment. Jesus gets up. That's amazing. And I just want to unpack some of that and some of what it means for people like me and you today to back up that it is the world's greatest moment. I believe a reasonable question that someone might ask over this resurrection of Jesus is, did it really happen? You know, and you start thinking, well, it's a fair question. And there are lots of ways to answer that, lots of plausible and credible credible ways, ways backed up by history, and, and all these things that you can answer that with. And I want to look at it in, through a couple of different ways. But we know this. We know that Jesus had a horrific trial. We know that he was falsely accused. We know that his judge wiped his hands of it and said, I, can't, I don't want to do this. He knew it was wrong. We know that Pharisees went around paying people to vote against Jesus. And we know it was all unfair. And he kept quiet through the process. We know that he took a Roman beating so severe that even the governor said, stop. They were going to kill him. We know that he had a crown of thorns placed on his head and he was weak and blood was pouring. We know they made him carry his cross up a hill in this weak state. We know that they nailed him on that cross. Didn't just hang him, they nailed him on that cross. And all the while, the crowds were jeering and mocking and laughing and spitting at him. And you know what he did? In that moment when he was weak, in that moment when he was at his lowest ebb, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just wow, right there. For me as a man of faith, it's just like, that's my Jesus, right there. We know that as he breathed his last breath and he said, It is finished. And I'm going to come to that later. He spoke, It is finished. We know that the cloud went, that the sky went black. It's like heaven turned its face away and couldn't watch in this moment. And we also know that the the soldiers, the centurion soldiers, soldiers that commanded a hundred other soldiers, not any soldiers, warriors, were stood at the foot of the cross guarding Jesus, and they said, wow, surely he was the son of God. That was their take on the situation. Not Jesus' people, not people that share my faith, warrior soldiers guarding Jesus at the cross. They said, wow, wow something has happened here. They sensed it, they knew it. And their declaration was, wow, surely he was the son of God. Here's how I want to, uh, this is where I want to look at this, did it happen thing. I want to look at it through the eyes of the disciples. And it's an unusual take, but I think you'll get it with me. You know, with the disciples, they saw Jesus after he rose again. They claimed they saw him. And there can only be three possible takes on this. The first take could be this, they were hallucinating. They so wanted it to be true, they started imagining stuff and they were hallucinating this Jesus. Another take could be that they lied, that they were embarrassed and they wanted to cover it up and they didn't want to look foolish, so they lied about it. And the final take is that they were actually telling the truth. So it was one of those things with the disciples. They were either hallucinating and thought they saw it, and they were telling a lie, or they were telling the truth. And I want to look at these for a moment. So let's have a look at this idea of maybe they were hallucinating. Let's read what the scripture says on this. I'm going to read from Luke uh, chapter 24 and verses 36 through 43. This is what it says. This is talking about the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? and why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. You see, Jesus was revealing himself as the risen son of God to his disciples, and even they were like, whoa. But he said, look at me, touch me. I'm not an apparition. I'm not hallucination. It's me. And he even said, I'll eat something with you. You see, a hallucination can't eat fish in front of you. See, Jesus was covering off this idea of hallucination. He was really stood with them, and they were like, wow. Wow. But I love this. This backs it up even more. There's Thomas. Now, Thomas wasn't in the room at that time. And they went to Thomas, the disciples, and said, we've seen Jesus. We've actually seen him. He's got up. He's alive, just as he said he would. And Thomas wasn't having it. And I don't know about you. We can all look at Thomas and think, oh, doubting Thomas. That's what he gets referred to because he wasn't having it. But maybe I'd have felt the same. Maybe you'd have felt the same. And he said this, unless I see him, I'm going to read it to you. This is Thomas's response. Now, Thomas, this is in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And here is Thomas's response. The one who doubted, maybe like me and you, would. here's his response. My Lord and my God. You see, Thomas wasn't seeing a hallucination. Thomas wasn't duped by it. He went in there doubting. But when Jesus presented himself, when Jesus said, touch me, when he saw what was happening right in front of his eyes, his response was, my Lord and my God. In essence, he was saying, it's you. I believe it. I've seen it for myself. Doubting Thomas overcomes the idea of hallucination because he didn't really believe until he saw it for himself and touched Jesus for himself. These were the people who were there at the time when it happened. Ordinary men, people like me, people like you. How would we have responded? And here we are seeing first-hand accounts of what happened after Jesus rose again. He couldn't have been a hallucination. He ate with them. He couldn't have been a hallucination because the one who doubted put his hands on him and then believed. So then there's this idea of, well, okay, if it wasn't a hallucination, maybe they just lied. Well, it begs questions like this. These are ordinary men, just like me and you, ordinary people. How far would you go to maintain a lie? How far would you go just to keep it up? How far would you go? Well, we know this. Thomas, the doubter, the one who didn't want to believe it until he saw it, Thomas traveled halfway around the world to India. And he went there because he was so desperate that people in another nation would hear the good news that Jesus has risen again. Jesus gets up. It's a life changer. It raises great questions for us in eternity in our life on earth. Thomas, the one who doubted, went halfway around the world, gave up his life as it was and went there to tell people about Jesus. We know that to this day, the flourishing church in India has its roots with Thomas. It was Thomas that started the church in India and it still flourishes to this day a growing group of Christians there in that nation. Why? Because the one who doubted encountered Jesus and it was true for him. And he changed his whole life's path and went to another nation to tell people about it. How far would you go if that was a lie? See, it wasn't a lie because Thomas was prepared to sell out his whole life to go somewhere else and tell people about it. Here's another thought. Would you die for a lie? Because we know that 10 of the disciples were martyred for their faith. 10 of those men were killed because they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. You see, you might get one crackpot in a situation. We've all been in different situations. There can be one person who's like, oh, dear, here they go. They're, They're on a zany one. You might even get two. Possibly an absolute stretch, you might get three who would carry on a lie, so far they'd die for it. But not 10. Not 10 out of the 11. 10 out of the 11 died for their faith. Some were boiled. Some were beaten to death. Some were crucified. Some were beheaded. All kinds of things, horrible things. People do not do that. People don't go that far for a lie. But they would for a truth. You know, I've often questioned myself, you know, How far, you know, if you put a gun to my head, you know, we could argue about who was the best football team. If you put a gun to my head, I'd just agree with you because I don't care that much. You know, we we could argue all kinds of things and you put a gun to my head and I'd probably let you have it. But when it's my absolute truth, there are things I'd be prepared to die for. You know, I'd die for my family. You know, if if it was between me and Sarah or me and my children, I'd die for them because I'd, I'd prefer that. But for me and my Jesus... I would stand and I would be prepared to go. I wouldn't renounce him, just as these guys wouldn't, because it's real. And so therefore, for me, and I hope for you, it can't be a lie, because too many men gave themselves over to it, and they wouldn't have. They were ordinary men like you. So the lie theory is a non-starter. So it wasn't a hallucination, and it wasn't a lie, which only leaves us with this. It was the truth. So how can we back up? that it was the truth. Well, the disciples didn't just go on living a good and kind and pleasing life just to honour their Lord Jesus. No, no, no. What they had witnessed compelled them to go and tell people about it, to shout it from the rooftops. Jesus is the Son of God. He is risen again. It changes everything. They wouldn't stop talking about it. And I know this. If something is a lie and something has no substance, when you keep banging on about it, eventually over the course of time, it dies out. You've probably experienced things which seem so important at the time. But over the course of history, it dies out. But not This. You see, because this truth was a game changer. When they were telling people about Jesus, it carried so much weight and power and authority that lives were changed. People changed how they were living. People changed how they were thinking, changed how they were speaking. Whole communities were impacted. People were physically healed. It carried great power. And to this day, a couple of thousand years later, The church is still growing. The message is still having impact. It is still changing lives. Why? Because it's actually the truth. You see, if it wasn't the truth, it would never have gone on this long. If it wasn't the truth, it would never have got off the ground. If it wasn't the truth, it wouldn't have kept going. But the reality is, this is a powerful truth which has the ability to change lives. And as people connect with that truth, lives are genuinely changed. The reality is, truth sets people free. And the truth is, Jesus rose again. It is the world's greatest moment. So what's happened then? You know, why is it such a big deal? And I want to look at this through two things that Jesus said. The first thing I want to look at is this whole thing about it is finished. We know he said that on the cross just before he breathed his last breath. Jesus said it is finished. And the second thing he said is let's go. You see, after he rose again, he gave what we call the Great Commission. And what he says to his disciples is, go, go and tell people the good news. Go and tell people about me and teach them what I've taught you and baptize them and let's let's change the world. Let's bring a touch of heaven to earth. He said, go. And then he said this, and I will be with you to the ends of the earth. So he's telling them to go, but he's also saying, I'm going with you. So in effect, he's saying, let's go. And I love that concept. So let's have a little look at this idea of, it is finished. You know, he's on the cross. His arms are spread. He's speaking forgiveness. And the guy next to him has reached out to him and said, would you remember me? This criminal who deserved to be there. And Jesus looks to him and says, yes, I'll remember you. You'll be with me in paradise. You know, and then he says, it is finished. And the, cloud, and the skies go black. And Jesus drops his head. And there's this amazing moment. But what's finished? What's finished? Well, Jesus' mission, Jesus' mission was to reconnect humanity with God. People on earth with God in heaven. It was always God's plan to walk with us. Do you remember Eden? There he was. He created man and he walked with him in the garden. And what happened? Adam disobeyed God. He said, honor me with this one thing. Don't touch that tree. That will show that you honor me. That's your respect. That's your reverence to me. And of course, we know they ate the apple. And so at that point, there's this sin, this, this division came. And man had to leave the garden. And from then on, there was strife and hassle and the first murder happened and all kinds of things went off. And unfortunately, we still live with these conditions on the earth now. All kinds of stuff goes off around us. And it's difficult. But Jesus came to reconnect man with God. And the issue he had to deal with is sin. And the trouble is, sin's it's not a popular word, is it? It's not a word we all like to bandy about very much. And we certainly don't think I'm a sinner. But when you unpack it and you understand it, you're like, oh, okay. Because the word sin actually means missing the mark. You see, I think for me, and I can't speak for you, but I think for me, I think I'm a decent guy. I try to be good. I try to be kind. You know, that's who I am. But do I miss the mark? Absolutely. I have days where I say stuff, and at the end of the day, I think, I could have said that better. Maybe I was a bit harsh there. Could have been a bit kinder. I I just missed the mark. Well, do you know what that is? That's sin that's missing the mark. And there's days where I just think things, and you think, what am I thinking? I think things about people, like, oh, what's the matter with them? And it's just like, no, I don't want to be thinking like that, but I do it sometimes. And there's times where I just do stuff that you're not proud of. And I think the reality is each of us can relate to that kind of stuff and it's missing the mark. And the biblical word for missing the mark is sin. And the trouble is we have this issue because we have a perfect and holy God who is desperate for relationship with, with sinful man, with a man who keeps missing the mark. And, and, and purity and holiness can't relate to sinfulness. And there's this issue. And this is where Jesus came in. You see, Jesus came in to reconnect man to God. In effect, he became my sin. He became your sin. All the things we've missed out and we've done wrong and said wrong and thought wrong, and we do it, doesn't mean you're a horrendous person, but it does mean there's this blockage between you and God. And Jesus says, I'll substitute. I'll come and I'll live a perfect life. And he did, and he honored God everywhere. He honored his father everywhere he went. He brought life everywhere he went. He didn't put a foot wrong anywhere he went. And he lived this holy life which pleased his father. And then he went to his cross and he said, Barry, I love you. He said, I'll take your sin and I'll substitute it for my perfection. And it's just like, wow, when he was nailed to the cross, it's like Jesus became sin. And that's why his father had to look away. Because all of the world's sin, all of the times we've said something wrong, all the times we've done something wrong, all the times we've thought something wrong, rested on Jesus. And he took it all and he said, it is finished. And as he did that, heaven had to look away. But this is the reality of it all. He took my sin so I could have his perfection. He reconnects me to the Father. Let me read you this verse in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Jesus is the just, I'm the unjust. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You see, what Jesus finished was this potential to be reconnected to God. Humanity being reconnected to God. I know there's going to be a graphic that comes on the screen in a minute, and it just shows you a little bit. There's God in heaven, and there's man on earth, and there's this sin layer that just creates this blockage and then Jesus comes and he goes to the cross and he reconnects man to God and you can see how that forms the cross and right there is why this image of the cross is so important to our Christian faith because it's where Jesus finishes what he came to do. Opens up this gateway between heaven and earth. Opens up this relationship between man and God. He did what he came to do and this is where I love it. When I say yes to Jesus, when I say thank you, I'll take your perfection for my imperfection. Thank you. When I do that, he comes and he walks this life out with me. And so therefore, when I have thoughts drop in my head and they hum- come, don't they? You're not good enough. You're not succeed. You're not lovable. You're just a loser. I can say this. I can say no, 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 no. I'm reconnected with my father. My father has good plans for me. He is leading me into a life of hope, and it is finished. Your authority and your power to influence my thought process is finished, and so I can refute it. You see, when when you when you have th- things like you know, you you feel unacceptable when you feel like left out when hopelessness comes and knocks at your door when lack knocks at your door when disappointment knocks at your door you can genuinely say no it is finished you're not welcome here because I have a life of hope to walk out with my father thank you Jesus. You see, he came to reconnect us to that relationship with Father. He came to reconnect us to an open heaven where we can walk in the blessings that that brings. He came to bring us hope to us. He didn't say it wouldn't sometimes be difficult, but he did say he'd never leave us through the struggles. And we can live with a hope in our hearts because it is finished. That's what he was meaning when he said it is finished. So what about this idea of let's go? And I love this because Jesus gets up and he takes within the keys to life. He says, all authority is mine now. Come on, Barry, come on, church, come on, anyone who's up for it, let's go. He takes us from a life of struggle without God and takes us into a life of hope with God. He takes us from something and to something. It's a game changer. And I love this. We now get to represent him. He says, I'll go with you. Look at this passage here in 2 Corinthians. It's chapter 5 and verses 20 to 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you see this substitution? Jesus went to the cross And and he had no sin. Then he took my sin and gave me his no sin so that I can have right standing with God. I can have this relationship. And it brings hope to my life. It's a game changer for my life on earth. It's going to be different. Why? Because I've got heaven with me. And it fills me with hope. So when I come up against an obstacle like any of us might, I don't go through that on my own. I go through it with my Father who empowers me from heaven. But I love this word ambassador. I get to represent Jesus. Little old me. Barry Roberts, 50 years old in Colchester. I get to represent Jesus. I get to be his ambassador, an ambassador for heaven. My role now is not just to get through in life, but it's to represent heaven on earth. I hope if you spend any time with me, I'll leave you in a better place than I found you. I hope when you spend time with me, you'll laugh a little bit. I hope when you spend time with me, you'll get a little bit of peace in your heart and your situation. Why? Because I'm representing Jesus whenever I'm with you. And great thing is, church, you get to do that too. When you understand what an ambassador is and what what that person gets, if you were an ambassador for the UK and you were going to live in France, for instance, and you were going to be part of the UK um, embassy in in France, and you're going to be the ambassador for the UK, you would get authority to represent the UK. And here's what I love. The UK now has it on its shoulders to supply your needs and to protect you. It is not the job of France to protect you. It is not the job of France to provide for you. It is the job of the UK to protect you and the job of the UK to provide you. Why? Because you're an ambassador from the UK. So it leads to all kinds of questions. If I am now an ambassador for Jesus, that makes me an ambassador for heaven. But I'm living on earth. And so therefore, if I'm an ambassador for heaven, living on earth, it's heaven's responsibility to provide for me. It's heaven's responsibility to protect me because I'm an ambassador for heaven. Why? Because Jesus got up, rose again and said, I've got the keys of life. Anyone who's with me, let's go and I will empower you to represent me. And it will be a life full of hope and laughter. He takes us from a place of struggle. He takes us from a place where you may have some success on your own and you'll strive and push and fight and get through and you may well do well. But he actually takes us to a place where he says, I'll do it with you. Because I'm alive and I overcome everything that can come against you. You know, those struggles that you have in your mind, those struggles that you have when things come against you. I've I've beaten them on the cross. Let's go and make a difference in this world. I've got you, and it's my role to provide for you. It's my role to protect you, and I am willing to do that. He'll never leave us lonely. We then get to demonstrate what heaven looks like. We get to bring peace into a situation. We get to bring acceptance to people who don't feel acceptable. We get to bring creativity. I love it when people just express themselves because God's a creative God, and we're representing him. We get to bring laughter, and laughter is good medicine, you know. It represents heaven well. You know, this is the life we were invited into, not because we're great, but because Jesus is great. The Bible says that our lives go from glory to glory. You know, each, each step of the way, every, every year that goes past, every five years that goes past, every ten years that goes past, we should be getting closer to Jesus and therefore more glorious. No, I don't want to be the same man in five years' time I am now. I want to be a little bit more like Jesus and therefore a little bit more glorious, handling things a little bit better with more grace and more humility and more kindness, but more authority and power, all in the same measure, going from glory to glory. See, walking with Jesus is where life explodes. And he invites us into this journey. He says, it is finished. Let's go. And it doesn't end there. You see, the day will come for all of us. Where we stand before God. We would call it Judgment Day. I think it's well accepted. There's, even Hollywood accepts it. There's films you know, without that in the title, Judgment Day. We get it. People understand it. Sometimes we put it away in the back of the mind as if it's never going to happen but the day will come when we stand before God and he's going to say, Barry, what was your life like? What did you do? Who were you? How did you behave? What were your thought processes like? And I was like, wow. You know, then, when I stand in the front of Almighty God, then how good am I? But here's what I love. Jesus says, no, 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 Barry, he's not going to judge you because you've got me living in your heart. I have Jesus living in my heart. So Jesus says, stand aside, Barry, let him judge me. You see, Jesus is going to stand in my place and with me, even in front of his father at the end of it all. So therefore, I have no worries about my judgment day because it's not me that's on, on trial, it's Jesus. And Jesus has done it all for me. You see, this life with Jesus sets us up for a great life to thrive here on earth now, but it sets us up for a future and eternity after Judgment Day because he stands with us. Uh, It says here in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So I live with this hope in my heart that my life will be great, that I'll flourish, that I'll have ups and downs, but God's going to be with me. But at the end of it all, Jesus is going to stand with me and my eternity is secure. You see, what a day we celebrate. This has to be the world's greatest moment because when you look at it like that, it's about humanity's life now and humanity for eternity. It's a game changer for everyone. Have I messed up? Yes, I have. But Jesus stands in my place. He represents me. He stands in front of me. I've seen this amazing sketch done. And it's like, you know, the father sitting on the judgment seat, and you go to sit on the judgment seat in front of him, and you're quaking, thinking, oh no, you know, I-, I blagged it and kidded myself, I'm good, but now I'm actually stood in front of the holy God. And oh wow, this is a little bit scary. And Jesus comes and stands next to this person, and they stand up, and Jesus sits down, and the father says, acceptable. And then Jesus takes the hand of that person, and they walk into eternity. That right there is a great picture. It's a game changer. Jesus gets up at Easter we celebrate Jesus getting up and it's a game changer come on there must be a come on somebody in the in the chat box there it changes everything and I hope I get a little bit passionate about it because it changes everything for me and it changes everything for you if you're someone who's tuned in to listen to this take a moment it is such an important moment the resurrection requires a response you know it's too big just a brush aside. It's too big to put it on the back burner and think about it later. It's a game changer. Your future is at stake, and Jesus has paid the price on your behalf. It positions us for this outrageous life on earth. It positions us in relationship with Almighty God. It opens the floodgates of heaven over our lives. It defeats every evil that would set itself up against you and try to bring you down. It allows us to restart to think differently, to behave differently, to speak differently. It changes our priorities and it releases power to represent heaven on earth. Come on, it requires a response. You know, I don't know if you were able to see the, the two-minute videos we put out every day this week just gone on, on, on Holy Week. And, and Matt Beals did one earlier in the week. And I love a statement he made and I wanted to highlight again because it really touched me. Matt said this, he said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And it's just like, that's it. That's exactly it. We're all trudging along, getting past, but there's just no life in us. And Jesus says, come on, I've got the keys to life. Let's go. It's a game changer. It changes everything. The resurrection gives us confidence to stand before God and secures our eternity. This is all too big to put off considering. The evidence is clear. The lives of those walking with Jesus, even today, this declares the goodness of God. If if you're someone called to represent Jesus, it's so important you do that well because people are watching you, and it is your life and your testimony that is representing Jesus and could just influence their eternity. It's so important, church. Come on, let me speak to the church. It's important we up our game. It's important we get real about this stuff. Lives are on the line, and there's a Jesus to represent, and we have the authority of ambassadors. This truly is the greatest moment in the history of the planet. It's the greatest moment in the world. And it requires a response. There needs to be a yes in your heart and a yes in your mouth as a decision to follow Jesus. And when you do that, I know I know even in this moment I, I know I know lots of Christians who you know we get in we get big blase about it we hear these messages but come on let me stir you up come on now's the time come on let's have a restart because Jesus is looking for his church to rise up victorious and genuinely influence the world not for our glory but for his glory so that people would be happy so that people would be at peace so that people would know what it is to be accepted by their loving Father in heaven it changes everything. Today we celebrate the world's greatest moment. Hey, I I hope I've unpacked that a little bit to you and I hope that stirred something in your spirit. If you're a believer today, I hope I've stirred you up. You count. You count. You're important. You're an ambassador. Come on, let's, let's up our game. If you're someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, come on, today's a good day to decide. What do you make of it all? There is so much evidence both from history and both from the people you know who love Jesus today, there is so much evidence and there is a loving father who sent his son to die on a cross on your behalf to set you up for life. And it requires a response. So if today is the day you say, yes, Barry, I've been thinking about this for a little while, or maybe you've just tuned in today and this has grabbed you, today is the day to say yes in your heart to Jesus and I can promise you with authority it will change the course of your life for the better. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're someone today who's saying, yeah, I want to pray that prayer, here's your moment. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for Easter Sunday. Thank you that you sent Jesus to come and die on a cross and become sin on my behalf and declare it is finished. So that he would take from me all the things I've done, thought and said wrong. That I could be perfect in your sight. I accept that sacrifice. I thank you, Jesus, that you did that for me. Today, I invite you to become my Lord, my Savior, and my friend and lead me on a journey with life. When you say, let's go, I'm willing to go with you. I want to follow you. And all God's people said, amen. So, so, so good. I just want to pray another prayer before we we check out. And I want to pray for the existing church because we've been in a year of lockdown and we haven't been able to meet properly as a church and we've done countless Zoom meetings and God bless every single one of you for pressing in. We've been able to reach out to our town through welfare projects. It's been so, so good. But let me pray for you because, come on, could we take this Easter Sunday as a moment to say, come on, I'm stepping up again because my Jesus needs me to. Let me pray for you. Father God, I just pray for the church. Every amazing person, who's part of your church today, part of your church worldwide, part of Equippers church, Essex. And I just pray encouragement to them. I pray increase of faith, increase of power. I pray fresh revelation of who they are in you and what they carry and who they represent. I pray fresh revelation for where our eternal destiny lies and the hope that lies in our hearts. Father, excite your church again about our faith journey and our walk on earth in front of you. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that, church. I hope you found that inspiring. I hope it's done something on the inside of you. Come on, Jesus is saying, let's go. So let's go and make a difference to this world. I'm going to hand you back to our worship team. God bless you.